Much of corporate media is government controlled. Now we're in a situation where that 20% of the population that was functionally hypnotized by the propaganda that was deployed is still deeply entrenched uh, in the narrative and unable to hear anything which is contradicts their belief system. Don't uh, shy away from taking on new things. I think that this has to grow organically from the individual up. It begins with ourselves. Hey everybody, welcome to the Sovereign Health Podcast. My name is Andy Schoonover, and we're on a mission to inspire radical personal responsibility for both the financial and physical aspects of your health. We get the joy of hosting thought leaders who are reimagining how healthcare is delivered. Dr. Robert Malone is on the podcast today. He's an American physician with an MD from Northwestern University. He was instrumental in creating the mRNA technology, which is currently being used in COVID-19 vaccines. We're excited to have him on the podcast today. Dr. Malone, welcome to the Sovereign Health Podcast. We are honored to, to have you. Thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. Uh, and thanks for taking the time and having the interest. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think my my first question for you, having been in a startup for the last three years and and just how taxing that feels to be, if it feels like you've been in a pretty t- taxing situation for the last three years as as well. And so I just wondering, you know, how how do you, how did your wife, you just said you had kids before we started, how did they hold up through some of this stuff? Uh, well, my heart goes out to you. I have uh, done multiple startups myself. and You know how it over- is then, right? <laughs> I know all about how it is. And I've spent way too much time pitching business plans to West Coast venture capitalists uh, and and uh, talking about, you know, Series A and Series B and Seed and all that stuff. Uh, um, and somehow in all of that, I never did get rich. Uh, so just... Uh, <laughs> You know, that's, that's, uh, I must be the anomaly because everybody else has startup gets rich. Uh, how, how has it been? Uh, complicated answer. Um, it's uh, obvious we have destroyed our, uh, long existing consulting operation, uh, through, uh, speaking out. And, uh, that, that potentially could have been a major problem. Fortunately, Substack. Uh, exists and uh, Steve uh, Kirsch recommended long ago, right after the Brett Weinstein podcast, that I get on Substack. And then Joe Rogan hit happened, and my world turned upside down, and my mm-hmm. Substack exploded. So that that's a good outcome. The uh, and so now my wife and I are full time writers and uh, observers, and uh, I guess in sense thought leaders with our our essays, our presence on social media. I eventually got put back on uh, to Twitter, uh, still banned from LinkedIn. I saw that this uh, morning. Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, so, so that's, and and we have a book out and we have another book uh, nearing completion now that's focused on sci war and sovereignty. And uh, so uh, the, we live and die by Substack these days. Uh, only a small fraction of our subscribers pay, and that's voluntary, but it's enough to keep us going. Uh, horse sales are down. Uh, the economy is horse sales. As we have, we have a, a kind of a, a high-end horse farm with Lusitanos, 
And uh, they're always a leading economic indicator when people get tight. Suddenly, for some reason, they don't want to drop $20,000 to $50,000 on a horse. I can't understand why. Um, so there's that. Uh, the, uh, the dynamics of all of this, the constant attacks from corporate media and uh, paradoxically from people that otherwise you would think would be on your side, those ones in particular are have been hard on me. Hmm. And I've been counseled by uh, more senior experienced people in the media and celebrity space that I should just let it, you know, water off the duck's back and and hmm. uh, um, not be not be bothered by uh, the vile, nasty things that people say uh, that are unfounded. But I the the uh, part of what makes me who I am is that I have spent most of my life trying to become and develop empathy for people. And uh, I think that if I was to harden my heart so that these things didn't hurt so much, I would have to also lose a lot of that that I've spent so much time trying to develop. And so it's kind of a, one of these yin yang things where it's the price you pay. Uh, that you you have a certain vulnerability to to the hate uh, and aggression that comes across, uh, and uh, and in our business we're very sensitive to what our audience uh, says and believes and thinks, uh, particularly our Substack audience, but also on social media. And so my wife and I monitor that quite closely, which means we're reading the hate um, as well as the accolades. Uh, and for some reason, uh, the accolades, uh, I just brush off uh, because I don't want to <laughs> uh, get wrapped up in um, thinking that I'm uh, so great. And, and yet the hate penetrates my heart. Mm. So that, that's, uh, that's been more rough. Uh, we don't have as much personal time. We have been traveling uh, an insane amount, and we tried to dial it back. We did over 450,000 miles on commercial air last year. Wow. And this year, uh, we're, we have dialed it back some, but it looks like uh, through January, the schedule is going to get wicked again. Uh, and I have uh, a multiple trips here stateside. I just got back from a three-city tour over three days, uh, and then um, really four-city tour. And then uh, um, it looks like uh, London, uh, the Netherlands, uh, uh, Belgium, uh, um, Romania, and Japan, as well as San Diego, Orlando, and Dallas, all within the next month and a half. That's crazy. It, it, so that that gets a little little wearing. Yeah, I can imagine. There there was there was some point when I'm sure you had this. There's a decision point where you said, "I'm I'm either gonna come out and express what I think is is right." um or not um did did you have any idea at that point that the fork in the road that you took in terms of you know taking taking the uh, stepping out and saying you know i'm gonna i'm gonna tell people what i what i what i think what i know here did you have any idea at that point that it was going to turn into what it turned into over the last few years well i don't think anybody could have anticipated this explosion of uh um attention, uh, notoriety, I'll say that's a neutral term. Uh, some, some, would, 
say I'm famous, others would say I'm infamous. Uh, uh, the and I it, I didn't. Uh, it, it was a little bit incremental. It started with me uh, deciding basically carefully, cautiously, I was still uh, self-censoring quite a bit on social media. And uh, I I had a phone call with a, a primary care physician in Toronto who told me about what was going on in Canada and the enticement with ice cream to children and mm. Uh, deletion of adverse event reports and those kinds of things. And he was begging for my assistance and uh, an intervention with Canadian health authorities, health Canada, which I don't have the contacts for. So, but I woke up in the morning, Sunday morning and said, Oh, I know what we could do is my wife and I are both extremely well-trained in bioethics. And so I wrote, I think what is the first clear unambiguous bioethics piece about what was going on and published it in trial site news. And that, that, that I, I had thought at the time that was a safe space. Uh, it was, you know, so straightforward, so unequivocal to talk about uh, the ethics of this, that uh, that, that wasn't going to get me in trouble and destroy my business. But I immediately started getting attacked. And then uh, I did a couple of smaller podcasts and Steve Kirsch, recommended that I go with him to visit Brett Weinstein and do that Dark Horse podcast that had a few million uh, views before YouTube de demonetized uh, Brett over that. And that the sin there was that Brett talked about ivermectin, by the way. It wasn't what I said mm -hmm. about the vaccines, uh, paradoxically. That that all came later. <laughs> uh, and then um, and then my uh, Wikipedia, at, you know, within days, my Wikipedia page got aggressively edited and and uh, and the page on RNA vaccines got aggressively edited to delete me out of it. And uh, it just kind of snowballed from there. I started getting attack articles uh, in that were totally unfair. Notoriously, I, I had written two op-eds with Peter Navarro in the Washington Times, uh, really quite modest, uh, saying, uh, recommendations for public policy in the outbreak, including distribution of test kits to uh, homes and uh, focusing on those uh, with greatest risk rather than general population for the vaccines and the drugs mm -hmm. and uh, counseling about the risks of widespread uh, vaccination using a leaky vaccine in the face of a lot of virus pressure and that that would just cause viral evolution. Everything that I've said has come to pass through all of these things, but they, they, uh, you know, you, they sick, uh, fact checkers on you that have at most an undergraduate biology degree. Uh, in most cases, uh, I did a, uh, uh, American thought leaders with young Akelic and Epic times, uh, when, we were all still quite naive and then epic times got hammered by the fact checkers uh unjustifiably washington times was shocked when they got basically deplatformed by facebook uh for allowing peter and i to publish our op-ed and before that jill and i had published a book in in february of 2020 on how to prepare and protect yourself for the novel coronavirus and that had been uh deleted and deplatformed by Amazon for the mm -hmm. sin of violating community standards. And it was a very, you know, it was basically written for our neighbors by a PhD and an MD 
uh, that had detailed knowledge about biodefense and vaccines and infectious disease. So, you know, with a hundred references, uh, but uh, there was no appealing that one. So, so we've kind of had this gradual uh, ratcheting down. And then uh, after the Dark Horse podcast, oh boy, the hammer came down. Yeah. And, uh, and then uh, I was deplatformed from LinkedIn and Twitter for the sin of reposting the Canadian COVID Care Alliance slide deck about the, uh, you know, what's now widely accepted as the frauds that occurred with the Pfizer clinical trials and the data analysis from Pfizer. And that was still conservative. We didn't know all that we know now. Yeah. And so I got deplatformed and then uh, on from both and then Almost simultaneously, I was recording the Joe Rogan podcast hit uh, that uh, I understand up until Bobby's uh, um, Joe Rogan interview. That was the biggest one so far. And uh, he put that out. He thought that was so important that he put it out New Year's Eve. And and in that, I, among other things, I talked about Matthias Desmond's hypothesis about mass formation using the term mass formation psychosis, which is Mm -hmm. one term that was used in the early Matthias Desmond podcast. And uh, the entire Silicon Valley lost uh, its cookies over that. <laughs> and Google started hand, hand editing the uh, search results to redirect them towards somebody who had been, you know, an obscure podcaster who'd cut a podcast critical of the theory um, that had like 30 hits at the time. And suddenly that became the lead Google hit. And then it just rolled on from there. Uh, it's not it's not very pleasant to have the Associated Press and Rolling Stone and Mother Jones and Business Insider and the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Atlantic Monthly all run hit pieces on you. I can tell mm-hmm. you that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but where, uh, where, where does the vitriol come from? I mean, you typically you see this vitriol when there is a some emotion, oftentimes fear. Um, you know, what, why do you think there's such a vitriolic lashing well, of you? One, one thing I'm quite confident about, because I've, uh, this has all triggered me to spend uh, an inordinate amount of time thinking and writing about fifth generation warfare, propaganda, and psyops, which is the focus of the new book, as well as our efforts to disambiguate what has happened during the COVID crisis and who the puppet masters are and all that, which is the first book, uh, Lies My Government Told Me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that, uh, first off, much of corporate media is government controlled now. And, uh, and the intelligence community has basically reactivated Operation Mockingbird, uh, which they had put in place in the 60s and said they would never do that again. So, for instance, the, quote, reporter that interviewed me from the New York Times appears to have had uh, CIA ties. It's just one example. Uh, and so uh, there is there all the way through, there's been a coordinated government, all of government effort. And that includes DOD and the Cywar divisions of DOD uh, to uh, maintain message integrity. I'm going to choose neutral words <laughs> uh, around uh, the proposition that any information that should that could cause uh, the public to become vaccine hesitant must be suppressed. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, it doesn't matter whether that information is true or false. In other words, whether it's uh, a fringe conspiracy theorist talking about programmable nanobots and graphene oxide, or if it's a uh, physician scientist who uh, invented, literally invented the core platform technology and has deep, intimate understanding and 30 years experience in vaccine development, it didn't matter. Uh, and I think that my background and my demeanor in particular uh, in, in the content uh, has been perceived as particularly threatening to the approved narrative. Uh, perhaps I flatter myself in that, but uh, <laughs> I, I think that that's been part of it. And we absolutely have had the phenomena that Matthias Desmond describes, this uh, mass hypnosis or mass psychosis or mass formation process. And you can see it in retrospect in a lot of the crazy things that were said at the height of the COVID crisis and the policies that were put in place, like we're not going to provide life-saving transplants unless you take the jab uh, and all the advocacy for herding the unjabbed into concentration camps, essentially like in New York State and, uh, and the various statements by ostensible comedians and other uh, influencers that, uh, you know, as far as they were concerned, the, the uh, unvaccinated could die and uh, the whole logic that the unvaccinated were responsible for the outbreak and for deaths. And, you know, it all just went on and on. None of that was fact-based. Uh, and all of it, in retrospect, was a huge, huge um, uh, overreach mm. at, at a minimum. Uh, so, Society did go a little bit, as I said on Rogan, barking mad. Uh, and I think that's undeniable. Uh, and now we're in a situation where that 20%, perhaps, of the population that was functionally hypnotized by the propaganda that was deployed is still deeply entrenched uh, in the narrative and unable to hear anything uh, which is contradicts their belief system. Uh, and uh, we have the approximately 20, and these, these ratios persist through time, uh, you know, in these prior events, mm -hmm. historically going back uh, millennia. Uh, the 20% that are resistant to hypnosis and this kind of propaganda are all, uh, you know, busy patting themselves on the back saying, oh, we are so smart, we figured this out right away, and, and uh, look at all those sheeple over there. Uh, <laughs> There's the 60% that's in the middle that are kind of like, you know, I just want to raise my kids, leave me alone. Um, and, uh, you know, they, if I have to wear a mask, I will. Uh, and if you force me to take a vaccine, I will. But if you don't force me, well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure not, not particularly motivated. Uh, and uh, those ones still are kind of with the narrative. Uh, they, they tend to, historically, that middle 60% or 50%, you know, give or take, uh, tends to go with whomever they believe to be dominant. Mm -hmm. uh, what, you know, the, the uh, apparent leaders uh, in, in dominant uh, narrative tends to sway that 60% of the persuadable middle. And the key issue here is as far as I'm concerned, those that are, let's say, I hate to pick sides, but let's say are on the side of truth or objectivity, 
as from where I see it, uh, uh, we have a tendency to kind of do like the other side does. Hooray for our side. Uh, um, we hate all you guys over there uh, that did all this to us. And uh, we're the we're the um, we're the smart ones. We figured it out. And you're the sheep. And uh, and uh, yay for us. And uh, that is absolutely counterproductive. That's yeah. not the way to reach the middle. Uh, and unless you can convince the middle that uh, this is the right path forward and these are reasonable, rational uh, people and, and there is a better way forward and a better plan than the official narrative and policies that are being so actively promoted by the administrative state, they're going to go along with uh, the, what they see as the dominant uh, force, which will basically default to uh, the government's position. And uh, so that's that's the challenge for me. This is basically my big challenge is to remain a level-headed voice of reason in a world in which all around me people are going nuts. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I I try hard. Um, occasionally, I can get a little pissy on Twitter uh, <laughs> if I'm getting attacked continuously, and I apologize for that. I try not to do that. And anytime I do, my you can rest assured my wife immediately uh, reprimands me. So you don't have to out there in the audience <laughs> for you. I won't do it. I won't do it. I, uh, I I'm I'm curious and. I hope we take this the right way. You've been around for a little bit longer than I have, but has you know you just said that that middle sixty percent almost by default. I think I interpreted this correct. By default, just kind of goes with whatever the most powerful force says is the right thing, and in this case, is the government. Is that has that sixty percent always been that sixty percent? Has that changed over the last few decades? Because it feels to me like. The the middle sixty percent is way more persuaded by the government now than it ever has been, um, and maybe I'm it's just my little so that, sphere. That, yeah, it may it may we're all in a bubble, yeah, of, of like minded individuals surrounding us because otherwise, generally, we wouldn't be interacting with them if they were radically different from us, unless we're uh, the kind of person who uh, actively seeks. Uh, controversy and uh, dopamine hits and stimulation through conflict. Yeah. Uh, so uh, when I refer to these ratios, uh, they are uh, have been referred to historically, literally uh, for hundreds of years. Mm. Uh, and um, there's a fascinating interview you can look up uh, from the early '60s from Aldous Huxley in Black and White, in in which he talks about this. And uh, of course, the author of Brave New World and the mentor of George Orwell, uh, Aldous Huxley, and whose brother, as I recall, was instrumental in founding the uh, United Nations and really the logic of globalism as we know it uh, goes back to the 30s and 40s. So fascinating intellectual British family that gave rise to Huxley. And in the interview, Huxley basically says that it's a good thing from the perspective of a government that 20% of the population is readily hypnotized or persuaded through propaganda to follow whatever the government wants, mm -hmm. uh, because otherwise a uh, population would be completely ungovernable. Uh, <laughs> and, and that the 60%, you know, with this kind of general 
uh, bias, that's that's also adaptive. But that the the world and societies need these uh, this twenty percent of which maybe five percent, three to five percent are really often radicalized uh, truth warrior types. Uh, um, you know, the ones that gave rise to the American Revolution and staffed it uh, was in that three to five percent range. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, that uh, a society needs these as change agents. And that so he makes the argument, basically a Darwinian argument, uh, social Darwinism, that uh, this is all adaptive. Uh, uh, you know, others might assert that this is all by design uh, and um, from the higher authority of whatever their monotheistic religion is. Uh, but uh, it's it seems to have persisted over time. And uh, it's it, the earliest historic reference I can find to this is in uh, Plato's Republic, in which he speaks of the allegory of the cave. Uh, and if your viewers aren't familiar with that, there's some great uh, philosophy videos you can watch about it if you want to quickly dive into it. But uh, it's it's a fantastic metaphor of uh, a group of individuals chained uh, to the floor of a cave, a darkened cave, watching the shadows on the wall mm-hmm. that are projected by the true power brokers. And then one of them escapes the cave, sees the true light, sees the nature of the world. It's all a metaphor. Comes back into the cave and tries to convince his former buddies and colleagues <laughs> uh, that they're all being... Uh, um, lied to, uh, and and they're obsessing over things that are irrelevant. The the interpretation of the shadows, and they all reject him. <laughs> like, get out of here! <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, and then there's the uh, the uh, the myth, uh, the you know, the hero's journey uh, that is uh, spoken about at length, and is the basis for the Star Wars series and so many others. Yeah. Are are you in that three to five percent? Is that is are you in that that revolutionary war, you know, group? I think think I probably am at this point. Uh you know, it's it's in for a penny, in for a pound. Uh in um when when these attacks and vilification and defamation started uh by corporate media, knowing that for the prior 20 years of my career, I had often interacted with uh, um, high-end corporate media, usually off the record as a subject matter expert, and uh, had previously been one of the key whistleblowers in the Jesse Gelsinger death mm. uh, with Jim Wilson, that uh, um, this gene therapy death, many has forgotten about this, uh, that hit UPenn. Uh, um, and I, I spoke at length to both national and international press, including uh, Cheryl Gay Stolberg. I was a main source for her articles, which made her career for the New York Times. Uh, I, I was, you know, used to interacting with press. And then as this developed and I started speaking out, uh, I was just shunned. No, you know, no interest in talking to this guy Malone. Uh, what does he know? Uh, and and then there was all of the propaganda and, and marketing efforts to try to get Carrico and Weissman the Nobel Prize, which of course eventually came to pass, uh, and um, and writing me out of history and all. So basically, as this started to happen, uh, my wife and I uh, kind of had a powwow. We said, "What the hell are we going to do about this?" 
uh, this is a whole new game. This is, you know, I've been through many outbreaks. I'm a, this is kind of my specialist. Talk about dopamine hits. I get my dopamine hits from outbreaks historically. <laughs> uh, and um, so we said, well, clearly corporate media is captured and they're not playing nice. And uh, if we want to get the truth out and our message out, uh, we're just going to have to dive headlong into this new thing uh, called uh, alternative media and social media, um, which is why I now sit in a uh, studio that we probably dropped $80,000 into here on my farm in an old pig barn, uh, broadcasting in stereo at 1080-60 from a four-camera rig. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, what I've learned over time is is if you want to reach the audience, you have to provide a high quality product, mm -hmm. uh, both uh, in terms of broadcast and in terms of uh, um, uh, written content in Substack. So we we threw I threw myself into the podcast. I would take every podcast that asked me, and it back then I was you know I would do five or six a day. Wow, uh, exhausting. Uh, and wow. um, fortunately, that's kind of cooled off. I don't complain about that. I'm not doing this for fame. That was one of the early accusations is, is I was a fame, you know, seeking fame and and uh, personal recognition. Trust me, that is not what I, I would far rather hang out with my wife here on the farm, not travel all the time, ride my bloody horses and, uh, you know, do what I needed to do in terms of regulatory documents and clinical trial mm -hmm. stuff uh, to make ends meet and pay for hay. Uh, but you know, that's not been the uh, uh, way the dice have been rolled. Yeah. And uh, once in it, two, two key things. Um, and there are others in this space that uh, actively cultivate a, a cult of personality around themselves and they are actively seeking to capture as much money as they can and as much uh, attention as they can. And I'm not going to name names, uh, so don't ask. But that's not <laughs> me. I don't. I don't grift. I don't sell vitamins. I don't try to pitch, you know, air purifiers or whatever. Do you get a uh, sense though that the three to five percent that we've been talking about, they're not in it for the fame, are they? Or I mean, it feels like these folks are. What Most, I call missionaries. There, there, there's there are folks in this space. So there are absolutely uh, chaos agents and disruptors, uh, and I'm pretty sure that uh, a number of them are paid. Uh, and uh, again, I could name names, but let's not go there right now. Um, uh, but uh, and I've written about this on my Substack. I usually talk about things and people in the abstract. Uh, I, I rarely mention names unless it's necessary. Uh, but um, uh, there there absolutely are some people that uh, identify or are identified as leaders in this movement that uh, are that are very active in trying to develop kind of a cult around themselves and in seeking publicity and in um, in seeking uh, to uh, accumulate wealth uh, through both uh, donations, uh, book sales, uh, sales of vitamins and supplements, et cetera. Now, for instance, FLCCC, just to be clear, so we're not confused, uh, uh, Paul Merrick and Pierre Corey, that operation is a not-for-profit. 
and they don't sell supplements or vitamins. They mm-hmm. do have uh, the protocols that they put up and they do get donations to support that. And they do uh, some telemedicine work, uh, but they're compensated uh, equitably for that. Uh, they're, you know, highly accomplished physicians. And it uh, feels like it's like the three to five percent is mission first, money second, right? As from from what yeah, I have gathered. I mean, if you think about some of the cases, the tr- money money is way down the stack. Yeah, a lot yeah. of. This, this is not, unless you're you're actively drifting in some way, uh, this is not lucrative. Uh, the, you know, I I don't get big speaker fees. Uh, Tony Fauci does, uh, not me. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I did uh, this four-city tour, uh, and uh, one of those I got a modest honorarium for in Pittsburgh, uh, but I was on my feet teaching for 13 hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Las Vegas one uh, was to support uh, Matt Mercy Schlapp as they were trying to fundraise for CPAC, and uh, they they covered my room and and airfare, but that was that. Mm. Uh, and then uh, I flew back to Pittsburgh, did that 13-hour stint, jumped in the car at four in the morning with Jill, drove to uh, Rochester, and then did a full day with Shannon Joy for her uh, um, event. And then drove back uh, um, home. Uh, it was an eight-hour drive, and I don't think. Uh, oh, Shannon uh, provided free lodging in in Rochester. That was that. So this is not this is not a way to get rich. And of course, all, through all that, Substack is what supports us. And so uh, it's not enough to just be shuttling back and forth and giving talks. Or podcasts like this. Uh, this is my third one today out of four, uh, and um, uh, but we have to put out the Substack day after day after day, or I don't get paid, uh, and the horses go hungry. And and you are regular, right? It is it is almost every day that you guys come out with a new Pretty Substack much. article. Uh, we are like uh, since we started this um, uh, a little bit before Rogan, so that's two winters ago this it was uh was that 22 winter of 22 i think um december 31st i think that's right uh, so it's like november of that year we started uh publishing and we're like at 850 essays so far wow wow um, so yeah it's some you know sometimes it's two to three a day uh but that's you know if if you want we're our substack is one of the largers uh, yeah. And then I, uh, we also maintain about two million followers across uh, Twitter or X, uh, yeah. Gab, Getter, Truth Social, mm-hmm. uh, and the Substack is is uh, 330,000. Uh, in and often we hit about half a million uh, readers a day uh, through the Substack. So that's uh, the Washington Post daily circulation is about two million. And uh, CNN's daily uh, viewership is closer to half a million. So we're starting to hit routinely uh, the the same number of eyeballs uh, that uh, CNN is hitting, which has been repeatedly mentioned as a low bar uh, and falling lower. <laughs> uh, we're only two people. Yeah, um, some, I love it. I love it. Staff. Well, the, re- the reason I keep kind of going back to this 3 to 5%, it was a stat that you, you threw out there is, you know, 
many of our members feel like they're in that three to 5%. They are folks who have um, vocally been against the Federal Reserve and the printing of money over the last three years and the the inflation that comes from that. We have uh, Bitcoin folks. A a bunch of Bitcoin folks. And and they are kind of castigated because they're like, oh, well, why can't you support these big federal programs because they're saving, you know, poor people and, you know, all this hogwash around what the, well, the they government will, has they done. They will enjoy the Substack that I just published about an hour and a half ago uh, on um, the Chevron deference, uh, which is the uh, major, as I put it, the uh, keystone of the administrative state. It's the administ- It was put in place in 84, which is ironic. Uh, and by the Supreme Court, it's a lot of people, a lot of, of uh, um, constitutional lawyers uh, um, are of the opinion that that is a, on the threshold of getting overturned. Yeah. And the Chevron deference is what has enabled the explosion of power of the administrative state and its overreach. Yeah. And if that gets overturned, uh, we <laughs> I want to say we have a brave new world. Um, we we are, are in a different place. Uh, what what it looks like on the other end of that pipeline, I don't know. And of course, this is all coming concurrent as your as your viewership is aware. Uh, the federal debt is unsustainable. Yeah. Uh, you're being pulled into. Is it going to be three or four wars? Uh, um, and we've had uh, basically forever war for. Um, uh, most of the 20th century or 21st century now uh and um and we've just been bled dry uh by our military industrial complex and now by our by defense industrial complex and increasingly by our censorship industrial complex and uh you know what uh what comes out of the other end of this sausage maker i don't know uh but uh, it's it's not looking pretty it's 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 scary you know the other kind of group of folks that are members of crowd health and listen to this are those who believe that the government has had a significant impact on the the food we eat um the medicine the medicine that we are getting provided you know the very kind of western medicine which you know you know a lot about um you know pharmaceuticals over kind of a natural holistic here's a here's one for you uh um, uh, Paul uh, Merrick, um, one of the most highly published uh, intensive care physicians in the world, has after having because ex- he's experienced the same kind of stuff uh, um, for the sin of advocating for ivermectin and early treatment. Mm-hmm. And he's lost his job at uh, Virginia Hospital, etc. Over this, uh, he's now to the point where he doesn't believe any peer-reviewed literature. Wow. And he's going back and rethinking and reinvestigating uh, largely more holistic uh, naturopath or integrative medicine approaches, in particular with his latest work to cancer. Uh, and there's a whole school of thought that uh, there are significant uh, capabilities, let's say, in uh, naturopathic uh, herbal cancer treatments. Uh, that are suppressed and overlooked um, by because they're off patent and you and the big pharma can't make money. 
And uh, your listeners are probably attuned to the fact that there's a big push nationally and internationally to try to uh, suppress availability of herbal, um, supplemental, and naturopathic remedies. Uh, this is happening all through the Western world in a harmonized fashion. Obviously, uh, suspicion is this is all this thrust vector is all capitalized by Mr. Pharma. That was going to be my next question. Is, is this the pharma industry trying to, you know, basically play in every part of our lives, <laughs> whether it be from, you know, a, a vaccine for for Why wouldn't they? COVID? I mean, it, mean it, having having worked with this industry in, you know, for much of my life. Uh, you would know better than anybody, I think. Probably. As academic and then, you know, at working directly, working for a Gates funded organization uh, called RSTB Vaccine Foundation and PATH and uh, working for mid-sized pharma solvay. Uh, these, these organizations, particularly pharma, they're not real big on ethics. They're, they're absolutely driven by profit. And uh, if, if they can squeeze more profit out of uh, a situation by marketing, uh, by uh, legal or illegal means, uh, by uh, bankrolling politicians' uh, campaigns, uh, they'll do it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's all you know. Anything goes uh, unless you get caught, and it's very much catch me if you can. Uh, and that's the pervasive ethic of uh, this uh, pharmaceutical complex, which has inculcated itself deeply into uh, medicine particularly Western medicine and uh, all of the uh, support infrastructure for Western medicine, the various uh, um, really uh, guilds uh, that are uh, built around medical specialties. So uh, the various uh, surgeons, oncologists, all the, all the medical specialties that have specialty boards are functionally guilds. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have guild, uh, central guild organizations uh, that manage their uh, uh, licensure activities. And they've all literally all been subverted by uh, uh, pharma money, yeah. as has the American Medical Association and, and pretty much all of the journals. Uh, so pharma has found a, a way to work its will uh, throughout the entire infrastructure. Uh, and this really went in hyperdrive, uh, another Star Trek metaphor, sorry. Um, uh, but uh, um, there, let me tell you a story. I had a, uh, a film crew come out, um, shoot a bunch of film related to their upcoming do documentary about the mRNA vaccine story. And uh, they, uh, the lead investigative journalist in that, Francis Delier, uh, took me aside and he said, hey, there's something you need to know about, Robert, uh, from a Swiss perspective. Uh, Edward Kennedy uh, made, basically made a deal with Novartis. Uh, and when the uh, he pushed through the legislation uh, that authorized pharma to uh, use uh, broadcasting uh, television to market their products, which is illegal in most of the world. And... Uh, also, part of that deal uh, that resulted in congressional uh, legislation uh, involved 
the uh, a decision by the government not to negotiate with pharma uh, for uh, cost reductions in many drugs uh, uh, um, on patent drugs. And uh, so there was this deal struck uh, and the quid pro quo, according to Francois, was that Novartis pulled up stakes in Switzerland where it had had its headquarters. Novartis being, if not the largest, one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world and relocated corporate headquarters to Boston. <laughs> uh, and with that cluster of events, uh, the entire industry was transformed. It became a, a monster in terms of generating revenue. And it turned that revenue back rather than, you know, the justification was, well, we need all this profit because we're doing such great work with our research and development. And it's so expensive. It's so risky. Uh, we just have to charge this. And that's the way it is. Yeah. Uh, and um, what they did was they took a lot of that profit revenue and rather than sinking it back into new products, which have become increasingly difficult, by the way, the low hanging fruit has all been harvested. Uh, what they did is they sunk it back into uh, essentially lobbying. And, and to a significant extent, they, they capitalize all of our elections down below the school board. Uh, and um, that, that has allowed them to capture uh, both the legislative branch and the executive branch of uh, the U.S. government down to, as I say, local levels through state governments. And uh, that's that's a real hard one to break. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's been in pretty hard. And so that's the, that's the question is if we, as we've got people listening to this, who are trying to fight the financial system, the world economic forum, the banks um, on the money side, we have people fighting against big food and the stuff that they're, you know, putting into and now, our, our now food. Mr. Gates is all over that. Yeah. And then the, and then the medical industrial complex, which, between hospitals and pharmaceutical companies and health insurance plans generate $4.3 trillion you know, in the United yeah. States, which is, I think, the fourth largest GDP if it were a country after you know, Japan, China, and the United States. Um, you, have, you have taken a stand that clearly has had an impact, life impact. But I think a lot of the people listening to this are, like I said, the three to five percenters who are saying, how... I, I see a wrong. I see an injustice. I want to stand up to you know very very powerful players, similarly to the the way that 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 you have. What advice would you have for those people who are like, I'm on mission. I want to change the world because I see an injustice. Um, I'd love just your perspective, given what you've well, gone through uh, over the last one, three years. God bless you, uh, and thank you. I say that in all sincerity. Uh, we. There is common cause here. Uh, it's been observed because one of the characteristics of many of these people is they're libertarians. Uh, and as Nigel Farage said to me, uh, um, it must have been six or eight months ago when I saw him in uh, London over dinner and did a, so Nigel Farage, the British Brexit sure. politician. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he said, uh, well, the problem with our side is we're all libertarians and libertarians by nature don't get along well with each other. And they don't <laughs> uh, and um, he said, what you have to do is that I can't I can't mimic him well enough because I haven't been with him lately. Uh, but <laughs> what he said was what you have to do is uh, to come up with some terminology 
that uh, reflects your common purpose. And in our case, we came up with Brexit as a term, and then we could all agree with Brexit. And once we had that defined, and it took us two to three years to come to that point, uh, then we were able to build momentum and, of course, had a major success that now all the conservatives are busy, you know, backpedaling on in, in the UK. But uh, that's that was Nigel's uh, recommendation is to find common cause and define something uh, that we can all agree on and then focus on that. So that's one version of it. Uh, I I think that this has to grow organically from the individual up. I'm a big fan, and obviously I've been with the physicians who have been at the you know on the front line, physicians and scientists trying to repurpose existing drugs uh, off patent rather than uh, the big pharma and the government with their top down approach. I've been with the bottom up approach, so that's kind of innately how I'm wired anyhow. But I think that that. Uh, we have to, it begins with ourselves and uh, our own soul, uh, our own uh, um, ethical framework, uh, and uh, and I also personally believe that uh, one of the ways out of the woods here is to go back and, and this is uh, two steps back and one step forward to to go back to let's say, Judeo-Christian ethics and some of the more traditional structures that have served uh, society and civilizations well over millennia. Amen. One of them being uh, the, uh, and I don't want to say trad wife. My wife uh, slaps me for that. Um, you know, trad wife is, has come to mean uh, this traditional uh, wife that uh, she cooks and cleans <laughs> and uh, I could see why your wife would slap you. (laughs) And the band goes out and hunts uh, the deer or whatever the metaphor is. Uh, So, uh, but um, uh, a a modern, uh, but also traditional marriage in is, is historically been the foundation stone for uh, stable society. And, and there's a lot of good that comes with, uh, long-term monogamous relationships, including fostering uh, um, the next generation and mm-hmm. giving them the security and uh, training and and uh, role models that they need to succeed in life. Uh, so I'm I'm a big. Obviously, I live on a, a farm uh, and I actively farm it. People think, oh, you're just a gentleman farmer because you have horses. Well, I. You know, I still got to go shovel the poop and uh, <laughs> and drive the tractor and uh, um, buck the hay, etc. Uh, as I have done for much of my life. This is our six small farm, so I'm a big fan of of self reliance. In this farm, we actually did homestead it quite literally, or farmsteaded it from a raw hayfield hmm. uh, up to the point where it's at right now, uh, seven years later. Uh, so I'm, I'm in terms of, uh, um, the underlying ethic I've, I had the benefit because we used to breed draft horses of, of hanging out with Amish and Mennonites a bit, uh, and they're among the very few that know how to make a small farm work. And they have a whole different ethic about work and family and those kinds of things. It's not perfect. There's a lot of ugly in those cultures, uh, that we don't need to go into, but there's a lot of positive there too. So, uh, 
I, I, I think um, it has to start with you as an individual. Uh, you have to get in touch with your soul, with who you are and what your ethics are. You have to commit to those. And uh, remember that, and I've seen this again and again, uh, when you compromise uh, because of whatever the driver is, you know, you've got to pay your mortgage or uh, your car payments, you know, instead of having bought a used car and, and sticking it out and fixing it when it's broken, uh, you decided to go ahead and get that uh, uh, shiny new Ford. Uh, um, uh, when you do that, each time you, you kind of sell a little tiny bit of your soul. Each time you make a compromise and you say, for instance, I'm not going to speak out about that. Uh, I'm not going to uh, uh, make waves at work, uh, even though this isn't right. And I know it's not right. And I can feel in my heart that it's not right. Uh, every time you do that, you lose a little bit of that key thing inside of you that makes mm -hmm. you a whole person. Uh, and eventually you end up with shell. And uh, there are worse things than dying. Uh, and and uh, losing your soul is right at the top of that list. Uh, and um, you think as as you speak out, uh, I had the advantage of having been through, through the uh, over the falls in a barrel once before because I was a whistleblower and I destroyed my academic career uh, by doing it. But I found through that that the uh, people around me that were my true friends uh, continued and perhaps even enhanced their respect for me, continued to be my friends, and created a safety net uh, that uh, allowed me to thrive and, and to bridge into a new career and a new life. Uh, and, and I'm glad I'm no longer an academic. If I, my wife was reminding me the other day, if I had stayed in academia, I would not be the person that I am right now. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so, you know, this, this whole thing that you, you, uh, you know, if you want to get theological, God has a uh, plan for you or whatever it is, but don't uh, shy away from taking on new things and, and undergoing change. Uh, if you're, especially if you're in that three to 5% of, of warriors, uh, be a warrior um, and don't allow them to make you a victim. They, they, there's so much effort to victimize and of course, victim, Self-victimization, uh, victim theory, uh, is at the core of wokeism. Yeah, and uh, don't don't buy into that. Don't allow that. I I refuse to find myself as a uh, a victim in any of this, and and choose uh, a, a self image that uh, is consistent with that thing in your heart and. Warrior obviously is something that those of us in the three to five percent all generally can uh, agree on, but there's a lot of variation in the warrior model. There's warrior mentors and, and uh, nurturers, mm -hmm. and uh, there's more more pure educators or pure nurturers, and those are good roles too. Just don't don't allow them to frame you as a victim and they're, they, they will attempt to do so. So yeah. there's some general guidance, you know, be true to your soul, uh, recognize there's worse things than dying. And uh, when you come to that point where you say, uh, okay, I could die, 
uh, <laughs> if I do this, uh, um, so what? Uh, at least I'll I'll die, you know, and with courage and in in personal integrity. It it's really freeing when when you when you experience that. Uh, you know, you're so afraid. Uh, you get so latched onto all your things, and all the uh, you know stuff around you that you think is you, that defines you, that bolsters you up, that makes you feel more important. Um, all that stuff, all those toys. You know, they, they used to have the bumper yeah, sticker. Totally. Who dies with the most toys wins. Um, and if you realize that all of that can fall away and you can still uh be happy because it doesn't give you happiness uh and that the things that will give you long-term happiness are uh you know long-term interpersonal relationships whether it's your wife your children or, or third parties uh and maintaining those relationships and deepening them that's what matters not all of the the toys and the accessories um then then the prospect of losing those toys and accessories is no longer such a big deal. Yeah, totally. Uh, and then you're set free. So this is, you know, in the, in the world of uh, decentralized cyber currency and alternative uh, lifestyles and, you know, the pejorative preppers, uh, what's a prepper anymore? It's like a, <laughs> a realistic person uh, that's planning ahead. Uh, you know, we've, we've all become preppers in, in our 20% or 5%. Of necessity because we're looking at the world going oh shit yeah uh, what comes next <laughs> and you know the mormons uh i think they they generally have this guidance that you should have about six months of food uh um stocked up not a bad idea yeah, uh, yeah. you know that's not crazy <laughs> that's just common sense yeah uh in these kind of changing worlds and uh and you know what's the ultimate fallback position uh you know there's there's a school of thought and Ayn rand is immature and um you know uh two-dimensional and not very practical and i tell you when i read burned through the Ayn rand books uh it changed my life mm. and uh that's why our Substack is called who is robert malone is a tip of the hat to john yeah. galt yeah and I love that. Uh, remember that uh you know i i, I I have very much kept in mind that the ending of that book is that John Galt is tortured by the bureaucrats. Uh, so, you know, when they when they stick their needles in me and they're hot pokers, <laughs> I kind of say, okay, well, I accepted this long sure. ago trajectory, and uh, it's the price you got to pay, and and don't complain about it. Uh, and uh, in in many ways, our farm here is my little version of Galt's Gulch. Mm. Uh, I sit here in an old pig barn broadcasting and uh, right across the, the way there is uh, what was once a store in a house that we're restoring as a conference center mm. uh, so that people can come and share ideas and, and uh, break bread together, et cetera, uh, from all walks of life. That's, that's the intention. And, and I, I uh, have come to thrive and just embrace this little uh, rural community that I live in, Madison, Virginia, and the, the county has the same population it had in World War II. Yeah, and they embrace me. It's it's a little bizarre. I'm a local hero, and uh, <laughs> and uh, 
and um, the cops love me. That's a little weird. There you go. Uh, well, that's a good thing. <laughs> well, if, yeah, if I not, were uh, I mean, if I were a prepper, um, I would probably want to be not too far from where you are. I I am a a once proud graduate of the University of Virginia. They have gotten a little loco in their in their po- po- political standings uh, <laughs> lately, um, but not too far from from you. So I love that part of the country. Um, I'm, I'm just appreciate. I know that you get on podcasts all the time and talk about, you know, RNA, MRNA, you know, vaccines and things like that. I, I wanted to take a little bit of a different approach to do because given what you have gone through, many of our listeners, um, you know, go through in much kind of less dramatic way. So I, I appreciate the advice that you, you have for folks, um, the wisdom there. And so, Thank you again for being willing to jump on our our tiny little little podcast, but it is full of people who are. Oh, it's, uh, it, I uh, don't apologize. I'm <laughs> I, I'm sincerely. This isn't an, uh, an affect. Oh, great! Uh, well, I, I, I appreciate I, that. Each, each podcast is a separate community uh, with with community leaders and its own uh, ethics and philosophy. And I each time I feel like I'm being invited in into kind of somebody's home or into their community. Uh, and I'm, I'm honored and grateful. And uh, just because you're not Joe Rogan doesn't mean you're not important. Uh, and that the community that you represent isn't important. I, I can't, you know, these, these are like little seeds. Yeah, uh, I love that. As we go along, we're, you know, planting seeds and we never know which ones are going to grow and thrive. Yeah, and whose life we're going to touch, uh, and and um, that's that's the joy in life, isn't it? Yeah, amen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I know, I know that you have another podcast coming up here. I uh, sincerely appreciate it, Doctor Robert Malone. Thanks for coming on, and thanks for having me. Sincerely, and uh, let's do it again. Would love that. 